May I speak to you in the name of the one holy and undivided Trinity. Amen. Have you ever had a moment that you would describe afterwards as having felt the scales fall from your eyes? A moment in which you knew that something quite fundamental, something you thought you understood, turned out to be significantly different than you imagined. A moment after which you would never see the world the same way again. Many of us here in New York City felt that way in the early months of the pandemic. Any illusions we had that we were safe from viruses, that science had a complete mastery of infectious disease, went right out the window. And then I, for one, had the inverse of that moment 10 months later with the incredibly rapid development of COVID vaccinations. That was something I never would have expected. It's important to note that the way in which they were rapid was in the sense that they were COVID-specific because the M RNA vaccine delivery system had been in the works for well over a decade, long before COVID happened. The patient and faithful work of many scientists had been going on for a long time, even though most of us were not aware of it. And even if we were, we didn't really, we didn't really think about it too much. It's interesting, though, because in that instance, the seismic shift that happened came out of this curious mix of slow, 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 and then very fast. So the sudden arrival of those vaccines, it did indeed feel rapid. Rebecca Solnit has written that this same curious mix of slow and then fast frequently happens with social change. New ways of seeing, she says, come along slowly, 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 like drips of water on a stone until suddenly a tipping point is reached. And what's interesting is that once that tipping point is reached, people quickly forget that they ever thought the other way. The amnesia is almost instant. One moment, it's only those fringe people on the extremes who have these crazy ideas. And the next moment, we're all saying things like, of course love is love and the gender identities of the two people in the relationship make no difference at all. It's helpful then to remember that we need all of those voices, those voices of the slow, slow change far off from the mainstream on both sides, mind you, because they give us the outer boundaries 
from which we're seeking to converge. They act as guideposts and markers against which to measure where we are. And they also act as creative engagement with the world as it is understood to be. When we step into a crossroads as a people, as a nation, as a religious community, we need to hear more than one point of view in order to help us find the best way to move forward. It opens us up to new possibilities so we can move in a way that we might never have thought of without having heard those opposing voices simultaneously pushing us and restraining us as we go about making change. So I ask you to keep that kind of seismic shift experience in your mind as we think about today's gospel portion from Luke, because it feels to me that this passage is describing the Jesus movement as exactly that kind of shift in consciousness, a shift so profound that once you have acquired the eyes that see and the ears that hear, you can't ever go back to not seeing and not hearing again. Of course, we will all always have moments of resistance to the gospel message welling up within us. And there's always more to learn and ways to go deeper. But that underlying shift, when it is spirit-driven, is too profound to ever cast away again. To my mind, that's what it means to be born again. One of my seminary professors once asked us a question that relates to the seismic and cosmic power of truly hearing the gospel. He said, what's at stake with Jesus? For me, this passage is one of Luke's answers to that question. What's at stake with Jesus is that once you start interacting with and seeing the world through the lens of the cross, through the lens of God choosing to be human and willingly going to death, you cannot go back again. Once you realize that Jesus' death and resurrection have forever unmasked the kind of compromises that we humans make, no matter what our cultural context, the compromise of choosing to trade the lives and dignity of others to gain and retain power, then you have to work really hard to pretend that you don't see those kind of forces at work all around you. So Luke wants us to know that Jesus understood there would be consequences if we chose to keep our eyes open, to live into those new understandings. And not just consequences, but conflict. Jesus also knew that a lot of that conflict would come from within our own families, those closest to us 
would not always welcome our new way of engaging with the world. Unmasking that construct of business as usual and that's just how the world works. It's too threatening to the status quo. And speaking up, of course, is then not polite and not good behavior. I remember hearing womanist theologian Christina Cleveland, a scholar whose work centers on helping us envision God as a black woman, tell the story of a student she once taught in the Midwest who woke up to the fact that she was white and how that same student after Thanksgiving came to her and told her, I have to drop your class. I can't, I can't keep doing this. It makes too much conflict with my family back at home. I find that story fascinating because I don't think it's actually possible for that young person to have gone fully back. Once you've seen, once those scales have come off your eyes, you can pretend and you can find all kinds of ways to justify pretending, but you can't really go back. Some part of that young woman, wherever she is, knows that systemic injustice based on race is happening in America. She can make a conscious choice to stay silent about it, but in her heart, she knows. So if family division is the result of talking about something as enormous as the pervasive practice of systemic racism, just imagine how much more true that is for the message of the cross, a message that completely unmasks the whole tit-for-tat human dynamic, a message that calls out the ongoing cycle of violence, a message that lets us know that our choices to scapegoat others, to ensure our own comfort, is anything but living in beloved community. And once we've seen that, once we've realized that, how can we ever go back? Once that shift has happened within us, we can't ever not know again. And even if we never manage to fully live into it every moment of our days, we're always trying. Maybe we are always asking God for help too even just for the strength to try. And God can work with that. It's enough. Theologian James Allison puts it this way. When we hear this passage, it looks for all the world as though Jesus is simply fitting in to the world's views about sacrifice and wrath. But in fact, he's doing exactly the reverse, because Jesus is giving himself up to being murdered, and because he has done nothing wrong, he brings about an entirely new way to be free from wrath. 
What Jesus has done by making himself the victim at the center of a lynching is to make it possible for those who perceive his innocence to realize what it is that they have been involved with. They then begin to have their identity given to them, not by the group over the victim, but by the self-giving victim who is undoing the unanimity of that group. This means that from then on, they never again have to be involved in sacrifices and all the games of wrath which every culture throws up. They will be learning to walk away from that and given the peace that the world does not give. So deep down, we know the cross and the resurrection have made it clear and we encounter a new kind of peace when we realize that. A peace that tells us deep in our bones that how the world is and how the world carries on is not how God would have it be. That we aren't wrong when our innermost spirit and heart cries out, hang on a minute, what I'm seeing happen here isn't okay. This dog-eat-dog -dog way of being is not what God desires. And that God knows and sees every time someone has dismissed our anguish by saying, get over it, life isn't fair, what are you complaining about? God has a response to that. God's response is, I see you. I know you. I hear you. You too are beloved, and you matter to me. This gospel is telling us that the peace of God is not the kind of peace where domestic tranquility and politeness will be preserved. It's not the kind of peace where we close our mouths and pretend we don't know the uncomfortable truths that are hiding in plain sight. Instead, it's a deeper peace that calls us to respect and protect the dignity of each and every one of us and of all of us. To speak out when we are able to use our privilege to help others, because we are all beloved of God. Living into that divine calling is the work of our lifetimes. And such a life, it's a life well lived. So beloveds, open your eyes and see. Open your ears and hear. Open your hearts and love. Ask God for help along the way, because we all need that help. And when we knock, that door will open. You have been baptized by the Spirit, and you have been born again. Bear witness to what you know is true. Amen.